And uh, anyone who thinks, oh, you know, um, ministry's you know, such an easy thing and, and you know, what's a pastor do all day? Um, you've never been in ministry. Um, so ministry's great except for the cantankerous people that you encounter along the way. So um, a bit of background about me is uh, I got saved in Rosanna Full Gospel Church, a little suburban church in, in the suburbs of Melbourne, and uh, it was in an RSL hall. It wasn't a ch- proper church building, and it was just in the end of our street. It was all, almost like come to Jesus by accident was, was our family. Somehow or other, my mum got involved in church things. Mum and dad were Catholics because they were Italian, and that's what you had to be. And then somehow mum got involved with a... With a um, a group of women, a Bible study group that was from the Church of England and uh, we were going to the Church of England Sunday School and then somehow or other an old guy came to our house, his name was Ted and he came to our house, knocked on the door and said, I'm from this church down the street, why don't you come along and um, talk to my mum about being baptised in the Holy Spirit and all these sorts of things and so mum started going to this, this you know, full gospel church and anyway, so... Um, in that church, we spoke in tongues, we, we sang in tongues, we prophesied, uh, we had tongues and interpretations in our church services, we did all that, all that good old Pentecostal stuff. Um, we, we, had, uh, it, it, we had AOG legends come and preach there regularly. Um, some of these names you, you, you probably don't know, but men like A.T. Davidson is an absolute legend in the AOG. He would come and preach in our church regularly. Now, I was like not at the age to appreciate it, but I used to love his stories. So I'd sit in church and listen to A.T. Davidson. He was about this high, um, but preach all these stories about life, about faith, about, about people that have been led to the Lord, and, and I used to love it. And uh, um, you'd think, well, little kids wouldn't like to listen to an old guy preach, but I used to love it. And then there was George Forbes, who, who, who was the AOG um, missions director. And he used to tell stories all the time about what the missionaries are doing all around the world. He'd tell, tell us about this person and that person and all the amazing things. And I used to love listening to those stories. We had Peter Fairbanks, another legend in the AOG. There was uh, Phil Hills and a guy called Ted Busey. And there was a, the, one of the favorite names I loved was Elvis Greenwood. That was his real name, wasn't it? It wasn't a stage name, Elvis Greenwood. He used to come and preach at our church. Now, you probably never heard of any of these people, but there was a heritage of faith in these guys that, that we used to get into our church. Now, I didn't appreciate what I had, op- what I had access to. You know, I used to, I used to just be bored out of my wits in church. I was just a kid. But I look back now and I can still remember portions of what they had taught us even today. So all those guys, the thing that I want to just mention about them is that all those guys made it to the end of their race. They made it to the end. Now, I know some of those guys were kicked out of their churches. I know some of those guys were, were, um, were, were um, slandered against and all sorts of things. And, and you know, it was in the era where some, the, church, the, the pastor, and one of the guys, one of those guys I mentioned, he turned up at his church and went to get in and the locks were changed. And they're like, well, you no longer work here. Here's a box with all your stuff. Now go away. That's how things were done. So while we used to have all these amazing things in, in, in church, there's a lot of other really nasty stuff happened too. So, but they made it to the end of their race. And I think that's just what, what we need to focus our, our perspective on is, Lord, whether they lock me out of my church, whether 
people don't understand me or people misunderstand me or misinterpret me or, or misrepresent me. I just want to get to the end of my race that you've set before me. So just naming a few of those guys, I, I went to church in that atmosphere filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got to say too though, because I know some people will be going, oh yes, we, oh, preach it. We want to get back to that. While, the, while there was a, a, a really awesome heritage in some of that, there was people who used to speak out in church that should never have had a voice. And that's just the honest truth. And you know what? We didn't have the, the maturity or, the, or, or, the, or the, I think the authority to say, whoa, whoa don't ever do that. Because that, that, you're, you're out of line bringing that word. Um, and, and, you know, it's not saying that we don't want to see that, but, but um, we've just also got to be cautious that that we're not having an open slather in our services and, and having all the wrong voices speaking that bring confusion, that bring condemnation, that, that bring um, uh, all the wrong kind of elements that they are bringing because they're all bent and buckled up and they want everyone else to be. And, and often we just let that stuff happen and go, oh, well, what are we supposed to do? Um, you're supposed to have, uh, I guess, a levels of authority within the church so that when someone does speak, they have authority to speak. So anyway, that's my own little bandwagon there. But an unfortunate side of, of those times that I grew up in, although I was in it, I never thought God was interested in me. It was like, wow, this is amazing stuff happens to everybody else. I hear all these wonderful stories. But you know what? I'm, I'm just 10 years old. God, God's not interested in me. Pastors and leaders here today, Every week, wherever you are, there are people that God is interested in and calling to ministry, and most of them don't even know that yet. And what our role is as pastors and leaders, because you're a pastor and a leader, you need to poke yourself now and then and say, I am a pastor and a leader. That means you have influence over somebody or people or groups of people or even one person, and, and your role is to bring out the call of God in their life and help them to discover that. So you think, oh, well, you know, that, that can start in, in, with kids in primary school age, but it also needs to extend to the people around you in your church, especially to senior pastors. You always need to be thinking, well, who is in my church that has a call of God? Maybe they can't see it. Maybe they don't know it. But you need to start to, to, to dig around and scratch around and try and lift the lid on that in their life. Now, some people will just say, no, I don't want it. And they put the lid back on and put the lid back on and put the lid back on. They should be, they should be giving you A triple plus results and they're giving you Fs and, 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 and worse. But you just got to think, God, I've just got to, I've just got to try and keep putting it out there and, and, and trying to lift that, that gift that is in their life. It can be, I think, one of the things that, that wears a lot of people down in ministry is that you, you think, well, I tried that one and, and it went wrong and I tried that one and, and it didn't work. And I, I went out of my way there and I, I bent over backwards for, for that one over there and then it still didn't, didn't you know, do anything. But you, you can't stop because you only need to have one that can change the whole world. But also I want, I want, to, want to challenge you pastors to be generous with credentials. Now I'm on the state executive and I know when I started in ministry, my first um, ministry position, the, the, the pastor would say to me, I have your credential application in the top drawer. So basically it was, it was like when I'd be naughty, you know, you ever want that thing filled out? Then, then you behave yourself. And so that's how it was in those days. 
It's not a great culture, but, but I want you to be generous with, with considering those in your church that, that could be um, worthy, so to speak, of a credential. So that you could start them on, on uh, SMGs, uh, um, SMC, sorry, SMG, that's the school's ministry group. No, don't put them there. SMC, uh, special ministry certificates. Um, but, but look into that. Start looking around because that's an investment into somebody that you say, I, you know, make sure they've got proven fruit. So you don't just go, oh, well, who's someone who turns up? Where's someone who turns up every week? So I heard this the other day is, is we've made a mistake in church by promoting faithfulness but not fruitfulness. Now, faithfulness is a, is a good first step. That's fruit. But there's also got to be other fruit as well that's attached to the faithfulness. So we need to not only promote faithfulness, but, but look for fruitfulness in their work and their life as well. So church is an amazing God-given pattern for people to thrive in. And I know these days, and I guess all, all through history, there's been debates of what's church, what, what should it really be like, how should we drink communion, how should we baptise. I, I had a real big issue once because here I baptise people uh, this way and not that way. And so, well, that's not how you got it. And I said, well, I've studied. I, I, so I went right through the Bible and checked everywhere. Does, does Jesus say, or does anyone say, they must be, ba- be baptised this way? And, you've got, and you must have two people on either side. Because that's what I was told. No, you can't do that. You've baptized them wrong. Because I said, well, listen, how, how I just thought, because I was the only one in the thing, I thought, well, I'm going to be health and safety conscious. I'm just going to ask the person to kneel down. And so they're there, and I'm just there with, with them in, in the water thing. It's just here. And if they kneel down, they're already halfway there. And then all I have to do is just, just take them under and back, and I don't hurt my back, and they don't get hurt. There's no, no safety risk. And then people said, Elders in the church said, I can't believe how you just did that. You can't, that, you know, they, they've got to be baptized backwards. And I, and I was like, I'm just a new kid here, I don't know. So I, I checked into it, and you know what? The Bible doesn't say whether they have to go backwards or forwards or whatever, it just says they're fully immersed. Well, that'll do. Yeah, but church is an amazing God-given pattern for, our, for, for people to thrive in. The problem is that we like the benefit of church, but we don't always seem so enthusiastic with order or structure that will keep it safe and healthy. So we do need to have order and structure in things to keep it healthy. As church leaders, you have to have... A, an interest in structure, both spiritually and practically. So we need both. So be prepared when you preach. You know, don't come unprepared to preach. It's the most important, you know, 20 minutes of, of a week is being prepared to preach. Um, now, whatever that means for you, you just need to take the time or whatever it takes for you to hear what God is saying and, and be prepared. Um, when, you, when you have your worship time, make sure your worship leaders are prepared to lead. Um, it, it's having, on a, on a practical level, having rosters. Rosters matter. Knowing your capacity as a church, um, that, that's important too. Uh, structure is God's idea. And people go, oh, well, no, it's not. Let's do church like Jesus did. You know what? Jesus, the one we're going to look to here, the, sermon, uh, the, the, the time where they fed 5,000 people, 
Mark chapter 6, it says Jesus told the disciples to get the people in groups of 50. Structure, organization, tell them to sit down on the green grass, it says. So he didn't say go and tell them to find the, go and find the prickle bush and tell them to sit on that. It says go and find them, get them to sit down somewhere comfortable in groups like this because then we can minister to them with the dinner. So structure matters. Even Jesus saw the, 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 the benefit of structure. And sometimes, you know, we had a real battle here in this church with trying to get structure so that we'd say to the welcome team, get people to sit near the front so we can fill that up first. So Because when we first came, we used to have three empty front rows and then put out more rows at the back when people came. That was really handy. So every single week, you've got to put out more and more chairs because the three front rows are empty. So we're saying, no, fill the church from the front. Now we fit in more people than we ever did in those days. In the first two years, our average was about 100 people coming to church. Now we get every, anything from 150 to 180, but it doesn't feel like, oh, we're, we've got no space because we, we fill all the spots up. There's structure. There, there's, there's, a, there's a reason behind that. So... Just another side. If you go into any church and ask people to put their hands up, say, has anyone ever been hurt, disappointed, misled, let down or disillusioned in church? There will be plenty who respond and that would just be the pastors. Because <laughs> you know what? A lot of pastors, as I started, bringing it back to the start, a lot of pastors don't finish their race because they get hurt, they get disillusioned, they get disappointed, they get betrayed. All those things happen, and so um, that you might find them somewhere in a church, but they're saying, yeah, been there, done that, I'm, I'm not. Or else they have a little home group where, where they feel they're going to be safer. But you're, if you've ever been felt like that or you've ever seen others like that, they're in good company. See, Abraham, God gave a promise and this is where we need to realize to hang on to the promises that God gives us because they're important. But God gave Abraham a promise and then he waits like 50 years. Talk about disillusioning God. You gave me a promise, God. Well, come on. I thought maybe by the time my wife was 75, maybe, but darn it, she's 90. There's a miracle right there. Think about it. Then... You think of Isaac, Genesis 26, he gets kicked out of everywhere he goes. He goes, he goes to one place, has, a, has an awesome crop, puts, puts in all this crop. It says it's a, he, 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 he harvests this amazing crop, a crop during a famine. And then the king says, get out, get out of my land. I don't want you here. So he goes to another place called Gera, and, he, and that's where Abraham lived, and Abraham dug all these wells, and he starts to dig out the old wells, and the Philistines and others come and say, hey, that's ours. They're the ones who caved it in. They're the ones who filled it up and spoiled it. Then he redigs them, and they say, no, they're ours. You've got to move. And, and so Isaac, who's got the son of the promise, he, he's grown up hearing the stories, like what I was telling all these great men of, of God I heard. He's grown up hearing the stories, grown up in this atmosphere of, you know, God's got a great plan for your future, for your life. You have a, this amazing inheritance. Everywhere he goes, he gets kicked out of. Then we have Moses. He, he, he gets rejected by the people that God sent him to save. You think why do they hate me? I'm the one who got them out of Egypt. If it wasn't for me, they'd be nowhere. 
And these are the things that happen to us in ministry, the things that, that, that cause us to be disillusioned, to be disappointed, to be uh, um, you know, upset. But we can't allow these things to rob us from finishing the race that God gave us. So we, if we have a quick look at Moses, uh, I've only got about 10 minutes. And Moses had had event session with God. Numbers 11 verse 14 in the New Living Translations, Moses says to God, he's having a vent, he's having a sook. He says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. And you know what? The load in ministry, if Moses found it far too heavy, then it's, it, you're not going to be Robinson Crusoe if you feel like it's too heavy for you sometimes. Now, I'm not saying it's healthy if you're always going on. You know, I don't answer my phone anymore. I lock myself in my bunker. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, that's just weird. But the key that I think here that I see in Moses is always vent your frustrations up, not down. Now, ultimately, we want to take it to God. We want to take it to Jesus. But, it's, but the reason we have structure, we have order within the ACC is so that there's someone around that you can talk up to. You're thinking, you know, people are being jerks in my church. People, people are being mean to me. They, they want to, they you know, they, they, they're trying to challenge me every time I have a vision from God about what we should do next. Then you need to, you need to vent upwards and you'll find solutions in that. Vent up the line will get you God's attention. Down the line will get you someone else's. It's a practical key here. Don't vent down the line, vent up. So, God answers Moses because he went to God with it. And Jesus will answer us when we take it to him. So Numbers 11 verses 16 and 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men, because he's saying the load's too heavy, um, who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you, and I'll come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I'll put that spirit upon them also, they will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. Um, verse 25 says that the Spirit of God came upon them. And this is, this is my, um, um, what do you call it, paraphrase. It says the Spirit came upon them, these 70 men, the Spirit came upon them, and they prophesied, but they never did it again. Look at that, the Scripture's up there. Awesome stuff there. That day, something got on these 70 men, something got on those leaders that empowered them for the moment. The moment passed and they didn't move in the spirit again. Maybe they were only given that one event, I don't know. But I know today we, we aren't limited to just one shot in the spirit. We're not limited to just one moment. Mark chapter 9 I'm going to bring this all together. We call the story of the transfiguration. Who knows that story? And Jesus was, it says his, his clothes were dazzling white. Like the, and they say like no other, no, no fabric cleaner could do that. Nothing could do that. They've never seen it. It's like he's glowing. It's like recently we went down to the beach and the, the, the waves were glowing. Who's seen that? That, that fungus or whatever what is it? Algae, that's what it is, not fungus, an algae. And, and, when, and when, it, when it's in the sea and when you step on it, it's, it glows. It's, 
It's amazing. Well, this is better than that. And, and the disciples see Jesus in this, this state of glory, the tr- transfiguration of his, of his physical into a, a, a spiritual appearance. And there was a voice from heaven. Uh, it's an incredible encounter of heaven kind that these disciples have the opportunity to see and witness. And Peter's, there's only three disciples there, and Peter's one of them. And he says, this is great. This is awesome. I think he's scared as well. And he says, let's build a monument right here. Let's build a monument to this. And basically saying, let's camp here. Let's stay here in the memory of this amazing moment, of this amazing thing that we've just seen. I mean, if you go, if you go now, two and a half thousand years later, um, all over Israel, there's monuments like this everywhere. Oh, this is transfiguration. Let's build a big church. Oh, there's, there's something else happened here. Let's, let's build another monument, a great big thing. Um, and it actually spoiled it for me because I think oh, I want to go on the I want to go to the Sermon on the Mountain. There's a church there, and you you got a fence around it, and you got to you know you can't wear shorts and all. And I'm like, come on! So I spoiled it for me. But here today, there are people at all points of of our journey. Lead pastors, there's department leaders, there's board members, there's church leaders. But each point along our journey is important and grows us for the next point but God never intended you to stay at a point of encounter with God at heavenly moments you know it might be God spoke to me about my future or got prophesied over or God's you know somehow revealed his plan for my life and it was so amazing so and that was you know over here in this church or somewhere else and so I just want to camp there forever God never intended those moments of of directional or redirection so that you would camp there forever. It's just a point along the way, on the way to your purpose and destiny. So on this, we need the Holy Spirit to be in us, to be in you for whatever it is that you do. Kimberly, could you play for me, please? We can't get the Spirit going unless that happens. But when you're doing it, whatever that it is for God, you may as well be doing it with the Holy Spirit's anointing in you and on you. You need the Holy Spirit in that. So as a young boy, I could have heard lots and lots of preachers, but the ones I remember were the A.T. Davidsons, the George Forbes, who, who were passionate men of God, full of the Holy Spirit. Because whether I wanted it or not, whether I, I was looking for ministry, I wasn't. I, 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 there was the last thing in my mind was ever to go into the ministry but something that was on their lives leaked down onto this little kid who happened to be in the service that day and what I, what I want to challenge you is when you're preaching when you're in your church when you're in your place of of whatever it is you're doing you don't know what's leaking out of you when you've got the Holy Spirit that's coming out we can have our opinion and that's going to buckle people. We can have our attitude. That's going to hurt them. We can have our, 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 our view and our, our, our wisdom and all those things that we can be pouring out onto people. But that's not going to set them on their destiny and their journey of, of purpose. And to help them one day look back and say, I'm going to finish my race. Sometimes we sign up for things that we have no idea what we're signing up for it's no idea what we're getting into it's like i'll pastor that church or i'll take on this this department 
I can do, you know, I, I can do catering. I'll do that. Or, or, or I, I can do a cleaning team. Whatever it is that we, we, we take responsibility for, whatever it is. But without the Holy Spirit, if we carry a burden, just simple burdens can become too heavy. In the New Testament, it says when they wanted to, when they wanted to uh, uh, help distributing food in the early church, they said, we need some people who can set tables. We need some people who can give out the, the, the buns and the, and the pizza. And it says they look for men who are full of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, we just need someone who can put a tablecloth on the table. Anyone can do that. But the early church recognized even to do that, find someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. So that's a great idea, but, but it's our responsibility to, to be having a, an environment in our church where the Holy Spirit gets filled on people. So I want to just define, so without the Holy Spirit in whatever we do, we carry a burden that is too heavy for us. And that's why sometimes you think, oh, someone's a real pain. You know, we, well, I've had them here, and, and all, 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 all they're doing is, is that they're vacuuming. That's all they do. Yeah, means a vacuum cleaner. Everything never went. And you think, oh, because it's never been emptied out. So, so I have to say, Pauline, find out why the vacuum cleaner doesn't work. She goes, it hasn't been cleaned out for five years. So she cleans it out. It works fine. We took vacuum cleaners to the bargain center and then Kyle cleans them out and says, there was nothing wrong with this vacuum. It was just never been cleaned out. So done. Give it back. But you know what? Because they, they become a pain to you and everyone around you because they're not filled with the Spirit. So, so when someone has has that purity of, of service. doesn't matter what the service is. It's because, thank you, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed. You know, when, when Paul and I were in Edge Church, our, our service, we weren't pastors, we weren't preachers, we weren't on the team. We put out junk mail on seats on Sundays. And, and we loved it. Because we were saying, God, we're able to serve you. And if serving you right now is, is putting out junk mail and then cleaning it up, because we had other people on the teams going... Why don't the pastors say everyone needs to pick up their rubbish around them before they leave the service? I'm like, well, they're not going to do that. Okay, everyone, have a great service. Was that awesome this morning? Now, look around you. See all that rubbish that you just threw down. Pick it all up. Naughty boy. Naughty girl. They just leave all the rubbish there because, because that was a ministry for me and Pauline and others to say, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. There's people in the house to mess it up. So I'd rather have crumbs on the carpet. I don't care if people said to me, oh, Pastor Rob, this is only two weeks ago. Pastor Rob, just need to talk to you. You need to stop having those cream biscuits. Let's look at them all on the carpet. And I'm like, you know what? The cream biscuits are mushed into the carpet because we've got children who eat cream biscuits and half goes in their mouth and half goes on the floor. And I'm happy with that. Because I want them to, to grow up saying, you know what? You know, I remember being in church one day and something of the Spirit got on me and, and I smushed the, 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 the biscuit in the floor and the pastor didn't tell me off and I love the house of God. That's the culture we want to create. Don't worry about the carpet. If you have to, you can replace it. Have a special miracle offering. But our goal has got to finish the race. I want to define ministry, then I'm finished. This is it for me. So you can define ministry any way you want. So that's okay. 
We can define our, what, what ministry means to us anyhow we want that works for you. But this is what it means to me. It's serving Jesus any way I can. So I don't define ministry through a title or leadership. It's serving Jesus any way I can. So you know what? They can change the locks on this church and say, you know, here's all your stuff. Go. We emptied out your, your, your drawers. I say, well, nothing in there was mine anyway. It all belonged to the church. I said, well, here, you know, take that all away. I'm not going to define my ministry into that, into a title or into a leadership role. So I'll just find somewhere that I can put junk mail on the seats or I can turn a sausage or, or I can paint a wall. And I can say that confidently, confidently, because I've done it before because I've lived through the rejection. I mean, pastor, once we were on staff, and a pastor came to our house and says, you know, Rob, you know, um, and he's sort of gone around in circles, but he's staying, you're sacked? And, and I, I'm thinking, what's he trying to say? You know, and I'm not good at, I, I just tell me, the, tell me that that's it, you're finishing next week. And, and I said, well, okay, well, when that time comes, then you just better tell us. And Pauline says, Rob, I think he just told you that's now. I'm like, gotcha. But you, but you know what? I don't hate that pastor. I don't hate that church. I don't hate God. I don't sook saying, but you took that ministry off of me and it was just awesome and, and the, it wasn't my fault. That doesn't come into it. God uses that to refine you to say, will you serve me anyway? Or did you just see that ministry was a title and a position? And when that came off you, you got hurt, you got buckled, you, you got broken. Because you know what? I, 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 they took the pay away, but they couldn't take the spirit and the call of God away. Is that making sense to you today? So our goal ought to be to finish the race serving Jesus. We're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray today for every leader, every pastor, every person here in this room uh, is in some way influencing someone. And I just pray that you open our eyes for the 10-year-olds, the 8-year-olds, the 16-year-olds, the 22-year-olds, the 42-year-olds, whatever their age doesn't matter, Lord God, but that we may see that when we are filled with the Spirit, something of that will get on them. I pray, Lord God, for, for those who are senior pastors here who've, who've gone through the times of, well, I've, I've invested so much in that person and it, and, and it didn't work out. Uh, I, I, I put so much of my time in and I felt betrayed. Uh, all those different things that happened. Lord, I pray that from today, something may get on them again. Something of your Holy Spirit may recalibrate again and say, God, Help me to see what's around me. Help me, to, help me to see those around me that I can pour my spirit into. Pour your spirit into the people around us, we pray. Lord, may we recognize ministry changes around us. Our role may change, but the call never does. So Lord, I pray, empower us. Fill us so that others around us may live in the blessing of the spirit. I ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.